0: Bravery, courage, and strength, these are a few of the words to describe the legacy of the late, great, NSU alum and educator, Senator Yvonne B. Miller. Forty years after her historic election to the Virginia General Assembly, her impact is still resonating. And also, Virginia Beach and voting, to be or not to be fair and equitable, this is the question. <laughs> it's Stay of the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric LeVille. Stay tuned for our 2024 Virginia General Assembly series as we discuss the impact of this great leader and the impact of voting in Virginia Beach. Welcome back. It's Stay in the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Laville. As always, we want to thank you for joining us as we bring to you important issues that impact your lives. Or as we like to say, bringing movers, shakers and policymakers to you to discuss issues important to the community. Again, we couldn't do what we do without you and your support. We also like to thank everyone here at the Norfolk State University home of the Spartan Nation where we broadcast every Sunday from none other than WNSB Hot 91, the soul of VA. For those of you that listen to the show, you know that January, February, March, is our general assembly series. And during this particular series, We discuss things that are going on on Capitol Hill in Richmond. That's right. Our legislators are there. Our representatives that we chose this past November to represent our interests are on the hill advocating for us and on behalf of us. So our goal is to ensure that you're kept up to speed about these important issues affecting your community. And to ensure that you have the opportunity to advocate on your own behalf and to give your opinion. Because this is your democracy, this is your community, your commonwealth, and your country. And it doesn't work without you and your input. So as a quick note, this particular week marks the end of the fourth week of the General Assembly itself. So this is, being, this is the long session, what we call the budget year. And with the budget year, we have 60 days in which the General Assembly meets in really record number of meetings and and debates and committees and subcommittees and additional conversations that take place outside of the debates on the floor itself. One thing that happened last week, which I think is extremely important, and which, of course, was the start of Black History Month on February 1st. And happy Black History Month here on the campus of Norfolk State University. We had the grandson of Nelson Mandela, Ndabe Mandela, that came to speak and kick off our Black History celebration here. And just as a side note, this was a great time. First of all, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal speaker. Talking about his book, going from the mountaintop, and with that he talked about the lessons learned from his grandfather, the late President Nelson Mandela. And for me, it was great meeting him because 25 years ago, I had the opportunity to meet his grandfather, President Nelson Mandela, at Southern University, where our university hosted him for a three-day event, and he spoke at commencement, and I had a chance to shake his hand and speak with him, and or also attend a luncheon in which he spoke at. And then before that, I also had a chance to meet the first black uh, secretary general of the U.N., Kofi Annan. So for me, it was a whirlwind time period in 2000, and it was definitely a a great culmination on last week. But the General Assembly did something very similar. They honored someone that was a trailblazer and fought for us and African-Americans and our community, before anyone else was able to do it. And what I'm talking about is none other than honoring the legacy and the life of the late Senator Yvonne B. Miller. Now, you may ask yourself, you know, who is Senator Yvonne Miller and why is she important to us? And, you know, why am I taking time now to, to talk about her on this show? Well, You know, we could be talking about policy, and we are. We're going to talk about Virginia Beach and voting and the equity behind voting or the inequity and the challenges to it. But I believe something that's even just as important, if not more important, is to talk about this great woman. She passed in 2012, July, as a matter of fact, before, well, actually while in office. But her legacy and her impact is something that really is a part of all of what every legislator, especially woman legislator, an African American woman is doing now. You know, Yvonne Miller, the late senator, is actually the very first black woman to serve in the House of Delegates and the Senate of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Let me say that again. This black woman, this educator, Norfolk State University education, Professor, former chair of the education department, and also attended Norfolk State University. She was the first to be elected, who ran for and was elected to the House of Delegates in 1983. And she became the first black woman to serve in the House of Delegates when she began her term in 1984. Not only that, but she was also in 1988 began serving in the Senate of Virginia, becoming the first black woman to serve in. The Senate. I at the start of Black History Month, I, I really want us to let this soak in and understand what we're what we're talking about. Just forty years ago, forty years ago, I'm forty I'm forty eight. So when I was eight years old, let's just say when I was seven, there were no there was no one, especially no black women sitting in the House of Delegates or sitting in the Senate that looked like us. Right. When I say us, I mean, African-American women, black women, we actually had African-American male serve in the House and also the Senate uh, prior to that. But only only a handful, if not one. But we're talking about this woman. We're talking about what she represented and what she endured, her legacy, her impact and what she did for all women, not just black women, but all women, especially women of color and black women in Policy and politics. You know, it's many times we look at uh, and we tend to take for granted that at Norfolk State, think about it, we have the most alums of any HBCU serving in the General Assembly right now. <laughs> you know, we also have our alums who are holding some of the top offices in the General Assembly right now. And every day we're able to see People that look like us, especially former President Barack Obama, cabinet secretaries in, in government, U.S. congressmen, U.S. senators, local mayors, the mayor here of Norfolk, the mayor of Portsmouth, the mayor of Newport News, the mayor of, of Hampton, you know, all these individuals that look like us, look like African-Americans, look like black people. But just 40 years ago, 40 years ago. That did not exist in the Commonwealth of Virginia in the General Assembly. I mean, think about that. Just 40 years ago, 40 short years to have someone that saw the need to do what she did is remarkable. As a matter of fact, I I just want to take at least half of this show to really honor her legacy and and talk about her impact and what she was and what she did now. According to a resolution, now the Senate of Virginia, led by Senator Louise Lucas, who is an NSU alum, President Pro Tem of the Senate, and chair of the very powerful and influential Finance and Appropriations Committee in the Senate, and also Senator Mamie Locke, who high-ranking senator and former educator herself, former dean of School of Liberal Arts at Hampton University, which I had the honor of serving as her assistant dean and also serving on her campaign and and serving also with her in the Senate uh, as a staffer, you know, they led the resolution for her in the Senate. And part of the resolution, I'm not going to go through it all, but part of the resolution, it highlights her life, how it started, what she endured in her life, the resolute, the resolve that she had to advance equity and fairness, and then the her, her legacy, what she left behind. So part of this, it shows that she was born in 1934 in North Carolina. She was the oldest of 13 children, you know, so she was the, you know, like my older sister, she's the default mama of the family, right? She's the one that helps to keep all all of us in line. Like this, she attended segregated schools. She came to Virginia and attended Norfolk State University. But at that time, it was the Norfolk Division of Virginia State College. All right. For all those big state, little state. All right. All right. You know, we're all one family, right? <laughs> but then she was here for two years, then transferred to Virginia State College. Now, Virginia State University, graduating with her bachelor's degree. And then from there, she began her career as a teacher in Norfolk Public Schools, which was segregated at the time. She witnessed, according to a resolution of the Senate, the effects of massive resistance, which helped to spark her interest in the civil rights movement and equal treatment. So from there, she said, I've got to get more. And this goes to the value of education. She ended up going to and getting her master's at the Teachers College of Columbia University, Ivy League Institution, in 1962, and her doctorate in education from the University of Pittsburgh in 1973. And then from there, she joined the faculty of the first HBCU and the first college she attended, Norfolk State University, becoming a professor and head of the Department of Early Childhood Elementary Education. The value of education, the, val- the what she placed upon education is tremendous. Not only did she place her value by being educated and with a bachelor's degree in 1960, she didn't stop there. She continued on and went to the Ivy League institution I'm sorry 1950s attending college to get her bachelor's 1960s applying to being accepted and attending Ivy League Columbia University okay and then from there going to University of Pittsburgh for her doctorate in the 70s 50s 60s and 70s growing up and being reared in segregated North Carolina Eatington as a matter of fact so think about the her experiences what she saw from North Carolina to Virginia, the Commonwealth, to New York, to Pittsburgh. Bringing all of those experiences, bringing all of that knowledge and that passion back here to the Commonwealth of Virginia, where she said, it's time. Where she became elected and ran for office in the House of Delegates. So in 1983, she ran for office And she was duly elected and began serving her first term in 84 in the House of Delegates and in 88 to the Virginia Senate. So during this time, I was talking to Delegate Cliff Hayes, my good friend, and I had the opportunity to attend the commemoration on the House floor, which was led by our two alums, Delegate Candy King and Delegate Cliff Hayes. Again, Norfolk State is well represented in the Commonwealth of Virginia General Assembly. They led the Virginia Black Caucus, which is the largest number of Black Caucus members ever in the history of the Commonwealth. Again, breaking barriers. And then they led them, and then, of course, the family of the late Senator Yvonne Miller. And I had the opportunity to represent Norfolk State University on behalf of our president, President Javon Adams-Gaston, on the floor of the House of Delegates while they made the presentation of the portrait to the family of the late, great Senator Miller. And Delegate Hayes, he was saying that a lot of people really don't really understand the gravity or the weight that she had, the gravity of what she did and the weight that she had. Because during that time period, again, when you look down from the galley, it was all white males, right? White males that were sitting there. And you have this one black woman that's there. And then not only that, but a majority white males, there was a few I think, white females, and but majority white males. And when you look down at the galley, that was a time period where you could smoke <laughs> in the General Assembly. You could smoke in government buildings. Again, not too long ago, 40 years ago, a lot of things changed, right? But being there, you know, being steeped, our commonwealth steeped in the 80s, still fighting resistance of integration, still Dealing with the legacy of Jim Crow, legalized segregation, and really the legacy of slavery itself. But she was there fighting for, championing, you know, the, the, the rights of all people, more specifically black people, poor people, championing civil rights, championing education, equitable education, according to the resolution, fighting against the radiating effects of poverty. Not only that, but standing up for voting rights. Now, how did she stand up for voting rights? And we're gonna this is key because we're gonna talk about this right down the street from where she served from Norfolk State University in Virginia Beach. How this is still reverberating still today, the fight for equity, equitable voting rights. Right, but she fought for voting rights. Stood up by opposing the voter ID law in 2012, which she compared to Jim Crow era efforts to suppress minorities. Now keep in mind, that's 2012, during the General Assembly. Unfortunately, the Lord called her home that July in 2012. So one of her last votes, one of her last pushes, push in in the General Assembly, in the Senate, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, was still fighting for equitable right to vote. Think about that. Standing, and fighting to the very end for Virginians fighting and standing to the very end for equality, standing and fighting to the very end to ensure that our society is a fair society. That's her legacy. That's her impact. That's her heritage. Her heritage is all of the other women, black women that are serving, and really all women that are serving in government right now, especially in the General Assembly, saying that, yes, she did it. I can do it too. If she could stand by herself, again, by herself. There was a statement that was made on the floor by one of her mentees, and that's Delegate Candy King. She said that one thing that She said, never expect to be mentored, mentor yourself, educate yourself. And it shows by her education and how she fought for education, but it showed mentor yourself, take things up on your own and put it on your shoulder to make sure that you're making a difference. Don't wait for anybody else. You can do it yourself. A few more of her accolades and achievements in she became the first woman also to chair a Senate committee where she became chair of the Transportation Committee. I want to say something about being a chair of a committee because, you know, we we say chair, but, you know, it's kind of like a well, what does that really mean? To be chair of a committee in government, come with Virginia in D.C., in Congress, in the Senate in Congress, that means that you have the power to dictate the agenda, that means you have the power to uh, put things on the agenda. You control the meetings. And and for the most part, you kind of almost have the final say when you're, of course, in, in power, when your party's in power. That's a very powerful position to be in. So being the chair of that committee and the first black woman to hold that position. I mean, I'm sorry, the first woman. Again. She just didn't represent black women. She just wasn't an inspiration just to black women or women of color. She was an inspiration to all women, breaking barriers. Not only that, but at the time of her death, she was also the longest-serving woman in the General Assembly, served 28 years, and ranked fourth overall in seniority. Of course, we know now that's been broken, and of course, Senator Louise Lucas is the ranking in seniority and the longest-serving woman in the General Assembly as well. So what the resolution says is that she set an example for those who came after her 40 years later. It says that the legacy of fighting for equity and fairness and calling out injustice and working tirelessly towards solutions to issues faced by Virginians, their communities, continues to be remembered and upheld both within the legislature and among those she inspired across the Commonwealth now. So with that, they were able, a resolution was put in place for that, for the family on her behalf. And also the black legislative Virginia legislative black caucus and their expression of her legacy and admiration for it. And there's a beautiful, beautiful photo of her portrait that was provided to the family during the House commemoration and presentation on the floor to her, well, on behalf of her, to her family. Again, bravery, courage, strength. These are two things. These are just a few words that helps to describe the impact of the late, great Yvonne Miller, the senator, the stateswoman, the former delegate, The retired educator, Professor Emeritus, the former chair here at the Norfolk State University. That is our legacy. We are part of her legacy, part of her heritage, and it continues today. And to see all of the black women standing in the Senate and also in the House was tremendous. To be able to witness that, I mean, it, it, it was a beautiful thing. So, again... I don't want us to take for granted what we have today, what we're seeing, what we're experiencing. I don't want us to take for granted that these things just happen. But there are fights that take place. Good fights, good trouble that take place. But the ability to stand in the face to remain resolute is something that has to be in you. So the question becomes, who's next? She definitely wasn't the last. Thank God for that. But the question becomes, for those that are listening and for those that will listen, are you going to be next? Are you helping to raise the next generation? Or or will you be a part of the next generation of leaders of educators? That's the question. And that's truly what we believe that will continue to create her legacy if you continue to move up and step up and pick up the mantle and run with the baton. For equity equality and justice for all so I want to switch now to some legislation and I talked earlier I mentioned earlier that uh, the late Senator Yvonne Miller one of her very last pieces of legislation that she fought against before her death in 2012 was voter ID laws and fighting for voting rights and ironically 40 years later, well, not 40 years later, but actually, uh, uh, what, 10, 12 years later, that fight still continues when we take a look at what's happening in Virginia Beach. Now, according to WTKR, the state leaders were looking to pass a Virginia Beach 10-1 voting system where it shows that two bills in the Virginia Assembly are looking to bring the city of Virginia Beach's charter up to date to a 10-1 voting system something that already has changed in 2022. So let me give a quick backdrop to this, but I'll talk about what actually took place on Richmond first. But Monday of last week, we had members of the Virginia NACP and state leaders hold a press conference in Richmond, according to WTKR to encourage house delegates to pass HB or house bill 416. Now, According to Senator Aaron Rouse, he says this charter change is only catching up to what the federal courts have already deemed and already ordered that the city of Virginia Beach have a 10-1 system. Now, of course, in legislation, you have a House bill and a Senate bill, which pretty much is the same. And then they debate it. It crosses over. They debate those and then it comes together, right? At the very end. Of course, that was <laughs> that was coming with Virginia legislation one oh one in five seconds. But Senator Rouse is he's also patron the Senate version of that bill to amend the city charter. Now, what is a 10 1 voting system as opposed to what Virginia Beach had before? Now, Virginia Beach prior to 2022, 2021 really. They were, had a voting system, which was a 731, which basically meant that everybody in the city of Virginia Beach could vote for every candidate on the local level for city council and also for mayor. So you had some enlarged seats and, and so forth. And basically, if you lived at the beachfront, then you could vote for the city council person that lives in Prince Anne's, off Prince Anne vote for the city council member that lives on the other side of the city by town center and, and, and the light. so basically what happened is that it made, it really diluted the ability of communities especially communities of color or disadvantaged communities or communities that were part, not part of the status quo to vote for the exact same or very similar type of representative to represent the city of Virginia Beach. So now You have a beach that is diverse, about 30%, let's just say, give or take, of diverse, non-whites. But you have one or maybe none at a certain time people of color on the city council. And it's because if you have 70% or high 60% that are voting for one type of ideology and you find that candidate and 30% voting for another type of candidate with a different ideology, race or gender, then you're going to get what the 70% wants across the board. Virginia Beach was the only or the last city in the Commonwealth to have a system like this. Norfolk was like this. A suit was filed in the 80s. It was corrected where now you have districts. So basically, just like the federal system, just like the state system where we elect uh, senators and, and, and delegates, you have a district that's drawn where you live in a precinct. You vote for that representative to represent you in Richmond, to represent you in Congress, and there you have it. You have that person that lives in your community. You know them. They go to the same stores, churches, the whole nine. You guys cut your grass together. The whole I mean, everything, you live together, so they you know each other. In Virginia Beach, it wasn't that way. Not until a suit was filed by NSU alone Holloway against the city of Virginia Beach. A mother, a single mother, brought that suit against the city. Again, talk about the legacy and the impact of Senator Yvonne Miller. Norfolk State is always in the mix for some reason, right? Always at the forefront, breaking barriers, tearing down barriers for the common good of everybody. So that suit was filed to eliminate the discriminatory district or the way that the 731 system where several council members, three at large, and council members and the mayor were elected. So with this, this 10-1 system, and I, and I was interviewed with for this actual segment on WTKR, where I serve as your political and legal analyst, I advised them that they were able to vote across the board, basically citizens, for policies that favor the status quo. Also, it allows districts in the 10-1 system, where now you can live in a certain district, you can vote for that representative, vote your interests. And it's a system, as I stated was used by everyone in the federal and the state system. So the federal judge ruled that this system was inequitable, 731. And basically, the system now in which city council persons are elected is the ten one system, equitable and fair. There are two bills in Virginia Beach, for Virginia Beach in Richmond, to change the charter of the city, just to make it congruent with what the federal court has already said is the right thing to do. But of course, there's opposition. You have a, someone that's filed lawsuit, but the city attorney for Virginia Peach said that it's moot. It's and really has no merit because they missed the time period to basically bring anything up. Anyway, but that just shows, even when you're fighting for what's right, even when you're doing what's right by the courts, you still will have opposition. That's why you continue. You have to continue to stand and fight for what's fair what's equitable and what's just as always we want to thank you for listening to state of the water where we bring movers shakers or policymakers to you to discuss issues important to the community continue to support us and listen to us and we'll be back next week same time same place as always god bless be great and we'll see you next week hi i'm carrie washington and you're listening to state of the water with award-winning host dr eric claville